good everybody man let me know if y'all can hear me in the chat and yeah chris i I figured you'd be pretty happy about that i know uh that man there's so many good games this weekend it's one of the uh, i was talking um I, i was looking at sam herter's article earlier today and i mean just looking at the bubble the playoffs looking at the conference championship races even for the conferences that don't make the playoffs it, it, it is going to be a wild last two weeks of football at at every level man but yeah so the the, the fan vote game of the week is going to be Alabama State fam you game of the week this week is Chattanooga versus um versus Sanford that's the top 11 matchup up there in Chattanooga Tennessee we, we have a lot of games to talk about this weekend we're going to go over Walter Payton award race, Buck Buchanan award race, Jerry Rice, uh, Jerry Rice uh, award race. We're going to break down the bracketology at the end of the show. Predictions, live calls, all that good stuff, man. 701-779-9585. If you want to call in and Chris, I, I, I'm working on an article for the website right now just to kind of give y'all, you know, let people roll in. Um, just talk about some breaking news and some things going on behind the scenes um, as people tune in. But I'm working on an article right now that is looking at potential first for programs and also records that could be broken at broken at the FCS level this season, depending on how things finish out through the last two weeks of the year. And that's one of the records that is going to be in the article is Jackson state has never had an undefeated season. This was the first time in program history, if I'm not mistaken, that they were seven and zero at all. So every week from now on that Jackson state wins is setting a new program record for the longest win streak in a season, um, undefeated season, potentially at the end of the year. And with, with the Celebration Bowl, man, you, you're looking at with Celebration Bowl and the SWAC Championship. I mean, you're looking at what thirteen and zero potentially. So, and I reached out to Ken Clark um, on the article, making sure I had all the history, the facts, and everything straight before I dropped it. But I'm waiting on some other people to get back to me on some records that the NCAA is very inconsistent um, keeping up record books. But Lindsey Scott is on pace to set the all-time passer. Um, passer efficiency in NCAA history. Um, Reese Skudinski and Michael Ayers, Sanford and uh, Richmond quarterbacks, they're on pace to potentially break the completion percentage record at at the quarterback spot. Uh, Fordham is on pace to uh, break the, I believe it's like passing yards per game or something like that as well, according to the NCAA record book. There's like multiple uh, records that could go down this year, whether it's team, whether it's individual. There's a few teams that are in the running for conference championships that have never won a conference championship in the history of their program. You look at it like a Mercer. There's programs that are potentially going to make the playoffs for the first time, and there's a multiple programs that have never won a national championship that this year are probably going to be seeds that are going to have a really good shot to get to the national championship. There's going to be some programs, incarnate word, that have never been seeds before. It could be the first time that they're seeds. So there's a lot of firsts going on around college football, especially FCS football, that I'm really excited about. Also, Senior Bowl invites have went out. So there's been four FCS players that have received Senior Bowl invites thus far. The first two players to receive an invite this year – were both from North Dakota State. Hunter Lipke 
was to first, and Cody Mock, the offensive lineman, were the first two players to receive Senior Bowl invites. Both of those guys will be representing the Bison down in Mobile, Alabama, which is huge. That an FCS program is going to have two players um, that make the Senior Bowl. Man, that's that's usually reserved for the Power Fives, but for an FCS program, that is huge. Also. Andre Lova, a Princeton wide receiver, one of my favorite prospects coming out of the FCS this year. He got a senior bowl invite. And then, of course, today, Isaiah Land, Florida A&M um, edge rusher, got his senior bowl invite today. So there are four FCS representatives right now that have official senior bowl invites or that have at least been announced. And I'm going to put something on the website. I'll, I'll post the link on the community page where – I'm going to be keeping track of which all-star games FCS players go to. So I'll have an article. It'll have the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Bowl, the what is it, the East-West game, the HBCU Legacy Bowl, and I'm going to put all the all the FCS players that are going to um, that are going to uh, get invites and also have announced where they're going to attend because multiple players will get multiple invites. So once they announce uh, where they're going, I'll, I'll update it in the article. That way, you guys can keep track of where you're favorite players may or may not be going. So there's a lot of behind the scenes that goes on with that pair. So what, what has been publicly told to me and that I think you can even find on their website is they have a series of scouts, talent evaluators, whether it be former NFL scouts, former NFL players, um, player personnel executives that used to be in the NFL and they have like a whole staff of people that scout the entire country and they have a grading system that, you know, I listen, I don't, I'm not going to act and sit like I know all the math and, and the grading system behind the scenes, but they have a grading system. And if, according to what Jim Nagy and, and everyone has said is that if a player hits a certain criteria, that player gets a special look. And they also send scouts around the country to attend games on their quote-unquote watch list to see in person does that player live up uh, live up to the hype. So, And then once they hit that uh, set mark, once they talk to the player, once they go through and get NFL teams' opinions, then they send, start sending out invites. So the Senior Bowl is aiming to be the standard of all-star games, so I think they're getting a little bit more selective, and they're trying to get their invites out as early as possible because right now they're competing with the East West Shrine Bowl to see, you know, some of these top prospects are going to have to pick. And so they, the senior bowl and East West Shrine game are kind of going through that. But um, overall, as, as long as, as long as a player gets an invite to a post, I think East West or senior bowl is probably, uh, I would say tier one of post game bowl games and then you start working your way down. And, of course, I think Jason Dumas and some other people um, have have accepted uh, or at least have accepted their HBCU Legacy Bowl invite. So I don't know the dates right now. I would really like to see Isaiah Land and some of these other big players. Aubrey Miller is probably going to go somewhere. Nugget potentially. Um, uh, who's, who's the wide receiver that just transferred? Dallas Daniels is probably going to get an invite. If... Those players go to the Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine Bowl. If, if it's possible, I would still like to see them pull double duty and at least go to the HBC Legacy Bowl, even if they don't play the full game or, or or whatever it is. Just be there because the fanfare of having all the big names in 
in HBCU football at the HBCU Legacy Bowl is going to bring more eyes, more attention, more sponsors, more TV coverage, um, more just media coverage in general. I, I, I think people are losing sight of, like, if the top talent doesn't go to that game, then at the end of the day, is that game going to be as big as everyone wants it? And so I, I, I would say – people need to be a little bit mindful of that because I know me and cut have been outspoken about it last year. And I I mean, you guys saw it on social media. If it wasn't for cut myself, MVMT sports, a little bit of NFL network, man, there was like no coverage of that game last year, especially during the week, like the game, there was a little bit of coverage, but at the end of the day, like during the week in terms of practice film, in terms of social media presence, interviews, things like that, I was really disappointed in the overall just space of people not being there for the whole week. So I'm hoping this year will be a little bit bigger. Um, I, I, they base it on a career Paris and ultimately they base it on who has the most NFL interest based on the people they've talked to. It is that that's at least what I was told. And J love, I would say probably North Carolina central's in the driver's seat. I don't see them losing either of their last two, um, their last two games. Let's see. There was another one. Who they got? I'm trying to start scouting for JSU right now. <laughs> Aubrey should definitely get an invite. I'm I'm assuming Aubrey's going to uh, get an invite to at least one game. Listen, invites literally started going out Monday. So listen, if your favorite player, favorite team hasn't got um hasn't got invites, just hang on tight, man. They got they, they like to give invites in person to the Senior Bowl committee is traveling campus to campus to give out invites. So if your favorite player has not got an invite yet, it's probably because they haven't been to your campus yet. So I would just say, hang on. No, I said to JSU because Dallas transferred in this offseason. Appreciate you, Scotty, man. Definitely get the likes up. Um, I'd be surprised if Dallas or Huggins is invited to one of the big bowls. Do I think any SWAC linemen? The only SWAC – okay, the only SWAC – the only two maybe. There's two maybe. The first one, Mark Evans, is pro- based on the people I've talked to, Mark Evans probably is going to get an invite either to the Senior Bowl or possibly even the East-West Shrine game. But I think Mark Evans is – Mark Evans the second is probably the biggest and I would say the highest graded offensive lineman in the SWAC for – this upcoming draft cycle. So I would expect if anyone gets one, Jay, I think it's Mark Evans, the second from UAPB, possibly a Drake centers, but outside of, outside of that, I don't think there's any swag offensive linemen that are going to get senior bowl. Cause you look at Mark Evans, if it's based on a whole career, Mark Evans at the end of this year is on pace to be an all conference player. Again, Mark Evans, um, what is a four time all conference, three or four time all conference selection, was an All-American selection for either Hero Sports or FCS stats performed this preseason. I mean, the, the the kid has a the kid has accomplished absolutely everything, man. I mean, I, there's nothing else for an offensive lineman of Mark Evans' stature in the SWAC to accomplish um, for his career. So I, he deserves it, in my opinion. Being, I, I love watching O line film. I love looking at offensive lineman development. I personally think Mark Evans is hands down the best offensive lineman in the conference and one of the most consistent and best offensive linemen in the class as well, especially FCS. Now, 
My number one overall FCS prospect is Cody Mock from North Dakota State. Offensive lineman, um, he plays guard. Uh, he, he can play guard and tackle for them. Uh, Cody Mock is probably going to potentially be a first-round pick. If I had to guess, he's probably the Trevor Penning of this class. I, I think Cody Mock is far and away the highest-graded overall FCS prospect going into this draft class, man, in terms of just – pure domination on the offensive line and he's probably going to be the next great you know mvfc offensive lineman going to the draft following trevor pinning colt uh cordell volson i mean whoever else you want to throw into that mix yeah scotty that's why i was saying he's probably going to get an invite to one of them senior bowl we'll see uh senior it's just so hard with the senior bowl because they'll send out invites and they might in a in a player might be like one or two spots off the official invite list, but they could be a quote unquote like replacement player. Um, and so what would need to maybe happen in his scenario is a player from a big power five school decide to turn down the invite. He don't he doesn't need the the shine or he get or or he wants to play it at a different, you know, postseason game and that will open up a replacement spot. Then also don't um if your if your favorite player or player you're thinking of doesn't get invited, also they they contact replacements for injuries during the week. So if a player shows up with a broken hand, player gets hurt in practice, they already have replacements in mind, and that's how. If I'm not mistaken, there was a D2 or FCS player last year that got invited late due to some um due to some due to some injuries um in practice, which which that comes with the territory. So. No, so someone tag me in this, and then we'll start the preview, man, because uh, already 15 minutes in and we ain't previewed anything. But Alabama State cannot get to the playoffs. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Alabama State's even going to have um, – th- there's no way, man. I, I, I'm sorry. I know people were, 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 ex- were excited about the potential, but, man, that – they don't have they don't have any quality wins and they scrape by a D2 team. And yeah, there's I, I just don't see how they have the resume. And we're gonna go when I get to my bracketology over the bubble. And oh yeah, and they also got Turkey Day. Thank you. Yeah, they play the week of the playoffs too. I forgot about that. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, he's just a rookie, man. And Penny went for North Dakota State. Penny was from uh Northern Iowa as well but he was just a rookie and was one of the highest graded run blockers in the um in the preseason but man i would just give him some time man but um walter payton award watch list man there is a two-person race and the third spot for me is just to shine a light on someone who's probably going to get some third place votes that's what i'm going to do is just rotate third place the next two weeks just to highlight another player who might get a third place vote it's Lindsey Scott and Tim DeMore. Those are the two guys that are. it's going to come down to. There's nobody even close. And, you know, Shandarek Powell's had a great year for North Alabama. 1,300 yards rushing, 17 rushing touchdowns, averaging over 7.5 yards per carry, leads the country in rushing touchdowns, number two in yards per carry in rushing yards. He's probably going to get some votes. But Tim DeMore and Lindsey Scott are on a race to see who can – who it's going, to, it's going to be tight. I'm just going to tell you all now. Lindsey Scott, 3,400 passing yards, 45 passing touchdowns, 46 um, more on the ground, puts him over 50 for the year, only four picks all season. He's 
the number one in passer efficiency. He's top three in completion percentage, almost 74% of his passes completed. He's Lindsey Scott has not even thrown 300 passes on the year and has thrown for almost 3,500 yards. I mean, that's next level. And absolute, it's just absolute next level for Lindsey Scott. The fact that when, when you look at pass attempts, Shador is over 350. Tim Demoritz in the 300 range. Um, Parker McKinney, Dresser, Wynn, all these other top quarterbacks in terms of passing yards have insane number of attempts. Lindsey Scott's thrown like 290 passes this year and has thrown 45 passing touchdowns and 3,400 passing yards. Tim Demore at 3,600 passing yards, 43 touchdowns through the air, three rushing. He has six, he has six picks this year, 65% completion percentage. He's second in passer efficiency, first in yards, passing touchdowns number two. It's going to come down to these two guys. I, I, I just don't see anyone else. Now, listen, uh, some honorable mentions would be Matthew Solka. Would would Holy Cross quarterback would be honorable mention. Some Derek Powell um, is in there. Some people are probably still going to throw some votes at Hunter Lipke. Also, Jaden Sheridan from Monmouth is going to get some consideration as well. Parker McKinney is in the conversation. Also, a dark horse here is Michael Ayers from Sanford. Do not sleep on Michael Ayers from Sanford. Almost 30 touchdowns this year. He's the number one leader in completion percentage right now. Thrown, thrown for almost 3,000 yards as well. Michael Ayers is a name that if Sanford goes on to win the SoCon, they beat Chattanooga this weekend, they beat Mercer the past two weeks, he's going to have two top 15 victories on his resume. And Sanford's only loss on the season is going to be to Georgia in Athens, which, let's be honest, there's not a team in the FCS that's going to hang within 45 of Georgia on their best day. If, if that's the case, man, do not be surprised if Michael Ayers has – some consideration moving forward for this award. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I mentioned Solka. The only reason now, if Solka hits the 2,000, 1,000 yards rushing, I think he he'll, he possibly could get some votes. A, but at this point, man, Scott and Demore have set such a high pace that I I just don't see anyone anyone getting close, especially when you look at. Scott's first year in the system with a first-year head coach, FBS win on the resume. It, it's going to be really tough. And then Tim Demore at his only two losses are to Holy Cross in one point overtime, where he threw for what f- almost 400 yards, and then an FBS loss where he threw for 507 touchdowns. It's just going to be hard to compete with those with with those stats right now. No Sanders in this one, man. He's falling behind statistically right now. It, this isn't a team award. This 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 just this, this isn't this isn't a team award and Incarnate Word is the best team in the Southland. They won on a hail mary, and they're gonna be a, they're gonna be a top, but probably they're gonna be a top eight seed in the playoffs. They're the best team in the Southland. If 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 Incarnate Word in Southeastern Louisiana played ten times, Incarnate Word would probably win nine of them. They went on the road and lost by a hail mary, where Scott threw for three hundred and three touchdowns. They're the best team, um, absolutely in the Southland right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Holy Cross is going to get a bye week. Almost 50 touchdowns. I'm convinced we're not playing defense in the FCS. <laughs> I, I feel that, Sonny Boom. Um, no, Lindsey Scott's eligibility is over, Phil. Lindsey Scott's um, a graduate transfer. He he transferred from Nickel State 
this past all season. Uh, Scott is headed to the NFL, XFL, USFL, whatever it is. He he is graduating after this season, unless there's some special circumstance that I'm missing. But I do not. I don't even think that the COVID year. Um, I, I don't even think at the COVID year he's going to have another year of eligibility. I, James, I don't want to talk about man. I wanted that win for Cadillac so bad. I wanted it so bad. Um, not necessarily, man. I th- listen. Texas A and M Commerce has been better than expected. Northwestern State's undefeated right now in conference, which is insane. But I think the three good teams in a what a seven team, a seven team um conference are good. Texas A and M Commerce is is good. Southeastern Louisiana is great. And Incarnate Words Elite. Those are the probably three teams that you could um that you could probably chalk up to the Southland being really good right now. Now for the Buck Buchanan, we had a lot of change. John Pius is still the favorite, man. He's putting on a ridiculous pace at outside linebacker. Only a sophomore too for uh William and Mary. 57 total tackles, 16 tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks, three pass breakups, still leads the country in sacks, tied for first in tackles for loss. The two biggest gains, which are big perform- with, with defensive players, I don't judge how good the team is, but I do judge how that player performs in the biggest games. And six and a half tackles, three and a half sacks in the FBS win over Charlotte, Delaware as well, the top 10 win for William and Mary. The big performances this weekend against Villanova will be big. And then next week, um, they have another big game to end the season. John Pius needs to perform really well these next two weeks to lock up this award going into the playoffs. Now, Jay Pearson, edge rusher for Chattanooga, 42 total tackles, 16 for loss, seven and a half sacks, a forced fumble, tied for first in tackles for loss, also tied for 10th um, in sacks, five games with two or plus tackles for loss and leads one of the best defenses in the FCS for Chattanooga. And then finally, Rodney Dansby, Houston Christian linebacker. Houston Christian, um, not a very good team to say the least right now. Overall, they have a lot of moving parts, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But, man, Rodney Dansby has put together two outrageous, outrageous seasons. 106 total tackles this year, 7.5 for loss, 3.5 sacks. Number two in total tackles right now. And Rodney Dansby has 10 or more tackles in eight of the nine games that Houston Christian has played this year. This kid is all over the field, man. And he is so important to what his Houston Christian does on defense. I, I think Dansby deserves some consideration, but he's going to fall into the same type of trap that a Ronnie that a Ronnie Thomas would fall into where his team is so bad that I think some people are going to take away votes from him, even though defensive players should not. Um, I don't think defensive players should uh, should be docked for team, overall team success in an individual award. Now, Jerry Rice award watch list is Giovanni McCoy's to lose. Giovanni McCoy has been putting up insane stats for Idaho this year completing almost 70% of his passes, 2,000-plus yards, 23 passing touchdowns, only five picks for Idaho, has led Idaho into playoff contention year one of the egg era. Nobody saw Idaho coming. Nobody saw Giovanni McCoy coming. If you remember, Idaho went out and got South South Dakota State quarterback. They, they got went out and got them a transfer, that fit X system, that X coach to South Dakota State that led them to the playoffs one year. McCoy beat him out in a competition – and has put on an absolute show right now, man. And I, I, I think I think right now, due to big performances and big games, man, McCoy's going to take home this award if it ended today. Also, Eric O'Neill from Long Island, 
14 and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sacks for a freshman on on this stage, man, it's just insane. And then, of course, Makai Jackson, St. Francis wide receiver. St. Francis goes and wins the NEC this year. They end the Sacred Heart domination. 68 catches, 723 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. Also has a kick return this year and his only kick return this year. Makai Jackson is electric. A huge reason why the Flash is um, – are going to the playoffs for the first time in a while. Name other names to watch: Rex Connors at UC Davis, and Reese Poffenbarger for you, Albany man. But those would be my three ballots right now for the three major awards at the FCS level. Now we're going to go through some notable FCS games. We got some top ones. Week ten HBCU pre- preview led off by our fan vote game of the week, FanView Alabama State, and finally our game of the week, Chattanooga Sanford. At the end of the show, plus. And have bracketology at the end of the show. Let y'all know who's making the playoffs and why. But North Dakota State, Southern Illinois this weekend, 1 p.m. Central ESPN Plus is a huge game. Southern Illinois is in a must-win situation. If Southern Illinois loses this game, the Salukis can kiss their playoff hopes goodbye. Now they did beat North Dakota State the last time that they came to uh, they came over there to Illinois, so they ended a North Dakota State 30-plus game win streak in that one but nick baker has to be electric this weekend man the the, if the passing game is on southern illinois is a tough team to beat but when they become one-dimensional turnovers and they can't they they can't throw the ball the running game cannot save them they they do not have a running back that they can lean on especially against this north dakota state defense north dakota state is allowing less than 150 yards passing per game and and that is going to be the matchup to watch. If the Salukis can pass the football, this game could get really interesting. But North Dakota State has done an excellent job of shutting teams down when they try to move the football down the field through the air. And when you look at North Dakota State, last weekend, the Bison rushed for 450 yards and seven touchdowns in a win last weekend. I mean, the fact that teams are rushing for – 450 yards in today's game of football when everyone wants to pass it. It's just insane. Hunter Lipke leads the rushing attack. Man, North Dakota State, their top five rushers on this team, all are averaging over six yards per carry for the entire season. It is just insane. They got the second best defense in the conference right there behind South Dakota State. Michael Tutsi, Courtney Eubanks have been electric on that defense. I got North Dakota State this weekend pulling off the road win over the Salukis, ending their playoff run. This is going to be a game that has major MVFC implications moving forward. Now, Illinois State, South Dakota State in the same boat here. Illinois State can, if Illinois State can win this weekend, do not be surprised if they can make a run to the playoffs, but they're going to have to win this game or things get really, really interesting in terms of their resume, especially with that loss to Youngstown State last week. And when you're looking at Zach Arnstead at quarterback, he has the ability to be electric when he's on. But, man, he's got to take care of the football. Seven interceptions, only 11 passing touchdowns. Winkers Wright, Nigel uh, White are going to be keys in terms of running the football. But when you look at the, the, the key to the game is the South Dakota State defense. This defense is on, just on a whole nother level, only allowing 73 yards per game, two and a half yards per carry this weekend, and under 200 yards through the air. They are allowing less than 270 per game. The front seven has only allowed one team to rush for over 100 yards this season, and I think they're going to be able to make Illinois State extremely one-dimensional, and I don't think 
Illinois State is going to be able to stop um, Isaiah Davis in that rushing attack. I think it's going to get ugly this weekend for Illinois State. I, I'm going to take the Jacks huge in this one over Illinois State in a big win. I think they had their trap game last weekend. They are definitely wide awake going into this one. Now, Idaho, UC Davis, and I agree, A, if any coach deserves to win the Coach of the Year award is Coach Ed. Um, what he has done year one in that program is insane. And if they if they make a little run in the playoffs, uh, the Vandals are going to be scary moving forward. I, I didn't I, listen. I'll be honest. I thought they were about about a year or so away. A eh? but they have proven me wrong up to this point. But um, UC Davis Idaho is this this game's big because UC Davis the last two weeks of the season. They got Idaho this weekend on the road, and they got Sac State next weekend. If UC Davis can win these two games, there's a good shot the Aggies can play spoiler and find a way to make the bubble even more crowded. UC Davis has to win these final two games. It starts with Gilliam Jr. at the running back spot. Almost 1,000 yards on the season, nine rushing touchdowns. Miles Hastings can do it through the air, but this Vandal defense has – forced 13 interceptions this year and has just taken the ball away at a ridiculous rate. That was the key to them upsetting Montana earlier this year, starting this run to the playoffs. But the other thing with Idaho that I haven't seen is a team that has a quarterback as electric as McCoy. The way they control the ball is something that I don't think a lot of people, I think people overlook. Everyone looks at the yardage. Everyone looks at, you know, points per game. I mean, Ill, uh, Idaho consistently dominates the time of possession. I was looking at the total time of possession. They have almost two hours. If you add up all the time from the entire, all their games this season, they've controlled the ball for over two hours more than their opponents. That is, that, that is insane for a team that does not just run the football down people's throats. That's been a key piece into what they do. And also, don't forget about Hayden Hatton. Tight end switched to wide receiver. 12 touchdowns this year has um, absolutely been dominant for McCoy in this passing attack. I expect Idaho to get out of here with a win, but I do think it gets extremely close um, late. UC Davis is not a team that gets blown out very often. I got Idaho by seven or less this weekend, pulling out a close win. And finally, Princeton um, Princeton versus Yale is a big Ivy League matchup. Princeton and Jackson State are two teams that are sitting undefeated right now and neither one plays in the playoffs. And I was talking to Scotty earlier and talking about, you know, everyone's talking about extra bowl games, creating Pepsi, creating a bowl game for Jackson State to play someone. Man, I I wish and I know people are going to say no, no one, no one cares. But man, if you're if you're looking to play an extra bowl game, let's just say you know before New Year uh, New Year's, and someone call Princeton on the phone and let's let's play a game, man. Two if if Princeton finishes undefeated and Jackson State finishes undefeated, we could have two teams who are what 11, 12, 13, and zero that aren't playing in the postseason. And I, I I would love to see two undefeated teams play in a bowl game with a big sponsor. Both teams have a storied history because you can say what you want about Princeton. They got a storied football history as well. 
man, it would be huge to see those two teams play. But off my soapbox here, Princeton's defense has been the key to their success. They're allowing less than 12 points per game right now, less than 300 yards per game. They have forced 14 interceptions while only allowing eight passing touchdowns. I just mentioned Islovas at the wide receiver spot earlier, already going to the senior bowl. And that's going to be the key. Princeton is going to hold you under 17 points and their offense is going to score just above that. And that is how they win week in and week out. And Yale, they have been hot too. They put 69 points up last week in a blowout win over Brown, Trey Patterson, Joshua Pittsburgh at running back two electric guys, but it's going to be the Yale defense trying to hold down Princeton, man. This is going to be a low scoring battle. They, they have, they ranked third in the conference, 23 plus sacks. They've only allowed seven. If, if Yale can get this game up over 20, that's the key. They got to they got to get this game into the 20s and 30s. But I like Princeton to keep this low scoring. Princeton's defense is going to be too much this weekend. Give me Princeton over Yale, getting to nine and zero, looking for their second undefeated season since 2018. And some other top games. Let's see the HBC versus Ivy League would be, would become a thing as well. Could be huge. That's a good idea. Both teams got legit defenses to be a great game. Where would the game be played? Oh, no, man. Listen, I, no, I, I, people are missing my point there. Listen, I said, let's play a bowl game between those two teams. Not We're not doing a home and home. If it's going to be a postseason game, let's pick a spot in between somewhere and play, make this an actual bowl game somewhere. No, not not no home and home. This game isn't going to be played in Jackson or or up up in the Northeast. Now, you got to find like a neutral site for that bowl game get the sponsors, get get it in the NFL stadium somewhere, and then work somewhere. Yeah, like, I mean, do you know how many NFL stadiums are between Princeton and Jackson State? There, there's definitely some neutral sites somewhere that, that someone could – I mean, even I, – I don't know how people feel. I mean, Charlotte potentially has an NFL stadium. Uh, Nashville, like, uh, like, like my guy Sonny Boom said – I'm trying to think of some other ones um, uh, that, that are somewhere. I mean, I, you could do Atlanta again. I don't know if, if that would interest Jackson State fans to go to Atlanta again, especially when their season openers in Atlanta. Um, but, I mean, th- there, there's definitely some stadiums somewhere that you could that you can do. Uh, James says Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Charlotte would be probably about the midpoint um, there. But, I mean, you got Atlanta, Charlotte, Nashville – you could do Memphis in the Liberty Bowl again if you wanted. There's definitely some options there. But Southeastern Louisiana, Northwestern State, battle for first place in the Southland Conference right now, 4 p.m. Central Time, um, SOU number 25 in the country. And Northwestern State, they struggled in out of conference. They took some bad losses. But, man, the, Zachary Clement seems to have turned a corner uh, a corner at the quarterback spot, 2,100 passing yards, 17 touchdowns. The, the receiving duo of Javon Antonio, Zach Patterson, has been dynamic as I can get out, but no rushing attack. If SLU can take away the pass, Northwestern State cannot run the football, and that, that to me is going to be a huge detriment in this game, especially when the, when the strength of SLU's defense is the secondary – and without Cole Kelly, Southeastern Louisiana's identity on offense has completely changed. Everyone remembers Cole Kelly throwing for 5,000 yards, putting up ridiculous stats. 
Carlos Washington Jr. has really established his team as a run-first team. 500-plus yards, 10 touchdowns. They rank second in the Southland in rushing coming into this game. We've seen Eli Sawyer and Cephas Johnson both take snaps at the quarterback one spot. Each of them changes up the game. Cephas Johnson more of a dual threat. Eli Sawyer can air it out. It's going to be interesting to see who establishes himself as the face of this offense, but I like SLU to pull this one out. I trust their defense to get enough stops against Northwestern State. I don't necessarily trust the same on the other side. Give me SLU by seven this weekend over Northwestern State. Now, Furman and Mercer is a very interesting matchup. Top 15 game going to determine the SoCon race. I I can't make a prediction. I still don't know where I'm going to be this weekend. Some things happen down in Mobile with with me covering that game that I got to wait and see. So I'm either going to be in Mobile this weekend for Jackson State A&M or I'm going to be at Mercer Furman this weekend. But the keys for Mercer are simple. Fred Payton has to be himself. Fred Payton came into the Chattanooga game, one interception on, on the year. He's thrown, now he's up to seven. He's thrown six in the past two weeks, still has 28 passing touchdowns. But then they also, I mean, they just have had so many injuries at running back that I really think it's it's impacted their offense where they feel like they're almost one-dimensional just because of injuries. Not that the offensive line can't block, not that they don't have playmakers. It's just they kept losing guys at the running back spot that they've really ran out of guys that they trust to run the football. And I think that's put a lot of pressure as Peyton has felt like he's had to carry the offense. Now, Isaac Dowling, Lance Wise, Solomon Zubaru on the defensive side of the ball have been great playmakers, and they're going to have to play big, especially against a run, because Furman is going to want to run the football. That's what they do. Dominique Roberto, quarterback Tyler Huff, both of these guys averaging over six yards per carry. Roberto's probably going to hit the 1,000-yard mark this year, already has eight rushing touchdowns. If Furman can run the football, similar to how Chattanooga was able to establish the run, Man, things are going to get extremely interesting this weekend. They still have to go on the road. And I I think this is going to be a lot tougher game for Mercer than people are imagining. Coming into this game a few weeks ago, no one thought this was going to be a game that would determine, I would say determine the SoCon, man. And Furman has came out of nowhere. So uh, this is a game, listen, I'll, I'll put my prediction in my article if I don't end up going to cover this game. But I, I, right now, Furman-Mercer is a game that right now, probably 50-50 in my opinion. And if it was in Furman, I would be leaning Furman in this one. But Rhode Island-New Hampshire, another big game. I told you guys, New Hampshire had a gauntlet moving forward on their schedule. Everyone was looking at them leading the CAA, using them to really justify uh, North Carolina Central before they took the lead of the MEAC, justifying them to be in the playoffs. And Right now, man, New Hampshire's hanging on by a thread. And there was a question earlier. I'll I'll go ahead and address it. By A, New Hampshire, in my opinion, is going to have to – they might have to win out, A. They have have some big games these past two weeks. The loss last week really hurt them to Richmond. If they're going to make the playoffs, Rhode Island is a must-win situation, just in my opinion. I I don't think they can – I don't think the committee is going to put them in with three straight losses because if you look at their schedule, next week at Maine is a trap game. I think that's a tough one. They're going to have to win out. And if if they take a loss this weekend and or to Maine next week, I think with how tight the bracket is, with UC Davis potentially emerging, 
FAMU's going to be sitting there at 9-2. and two. You're going to have Montana, who's going to probably take away some. I, I think they're going to be strongly considered. You're also going to have the loser of the SOCON, probably Mercer or someone like that, the fourth-best SOCON team. And I'm trying to think who else is over there on the bubble right now. Youngstown State potentially A. So I personally think New Hampshire has to win out to get into the playoffs right now, at least. And, and that's um, let's see. Said so don't say that just yet. But <laughs> listen, the Miak the Miak is a gauntlet. We'll just put it like that. So yes, you're right. It, it could always change, but right now it's really looking like North um, North Carolina Central is a. Uh, is going to go to the celebration bowl. I would be very, very surprised if they did not come out of the MIAC right now. But when y'all look at this game, it's going to come down to one, which quarterback doesn't make the mistakes, and two, which team can run the football better. Marquise DeShields has been great for Rhode Island on the ground, 906, 10, 10 rushing touchdowns. But Kasim Hill has been a bit inconsistent, only completing 54% of his passes, has seven picks with only 15 passing touchdowns. When you look at New Hampshire, Dylan Lobbs, 700-plus yards, eight rushing touchdowns, and Max Brosmer been up and down this year. But due to the fact I trust Brosmer to be a bit more consistent than I do Hill, I'm going to lean New Hampshire here. I also think New Hampshire's front seven is going to be able to force Rhode Island into, into some mistakes. Rhode Island did struggle at times with William & Mary's front seven. New Hampshire has some playmakers up front. I expect New Hampshire to pull out a close one here over Rhode Island. And then finally... Richmond, Delaware, a CAA elimination match for the title. And this one's big, man. I, I think Delaware was one of the hottest teams in the country earlier this year. And they lost that game to Elon. And now, man, now they're sitting here looking at looking at their resume. And you're, you're just like, you could not afford another loss. They had a big win over Monmouth last weekend, 49-17. It's going to come down to the play of Nolan Henderson. Anybody here who has watched Delaware in person and or on TV, Nolan Henderson drives this team. 2,300 passing yards, 25 passing touchdowns, only six picks this year. Cameron Cumbie is a solid running back. I just don't know if they have – they don't have that guy. I think Cumbie's size takes away from what he can do in, in between the tackles. When you look on the defensive side of the ball, that's where Delaware makes their money. Delaware can win games just based on their defense. Johnny Buchanan, Noah Plank, Liam Trainer, Artis Hemingway. You've got All-American Kedrick Whitehead. All those guys are, are going to be all-conference, potentially some All-Americans in there. Johnny Buchanan is pr- probably in the Buck Buchanan award race. Delaware is going to, going to have to be more consistent on the offensive side of the football, and that's going to be the key. And it's going to be tough because Richmond does have a solid defense. Richmond has one of the best, probably stronger front sevens in the conference. Philip O'Connor, Tristan Wheeler, two guys, two guys up front um, that have been making plays for the Spiders. Especially last week, they shut down New Hampshire's rushing attack. When you look at the offense, Reese Udinsky is the name to watch. Reese Udinsky is one of the more consistent quarterbacks in the league. Seventy-six percent of his passes completed, two sixty-nine. Of 353, 22 touchdowns, only four picks, 2,500 passing yards. Reese Udinsky is the key for Richmond. And Jacob Ayers, Leroy Henley, Josiah Williams, they have a three-headed monster wide receiver where any given day, that guy can go and get it for him. And for me, looking at the momentum of these two teams, 
I'm leaning Richmond in this one. I think Richmond gets the win over Delaware this weekend. I I, I would have never thought I would pick this upset coming two weeks ago. But right now, I think Richmond is a little bit hotter team. I trust their quarterback a little bit more than I do Henderson right now. Reese Judinsky has been on a roll, and I think their defense is going to be able to play Delaware similar to how Elon did with that strong front seven. And I think Richmond gets the big win um, this weekend. And hang on, I saw a I saw a thing. I don't I, that could be it. That could be a real cold take. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. I I don't think you could say Delaware doesn't have any any big wins. I I don't know what team you're a fan of, but they got an FBS win over Navy. They beat a ranked Rhode Island team on the road, and they they also they just beat a Monmouth team that was receiving um votes, and they still got to play Richmond and Villanova. So. I, I don't think impressive. I don't, I don't think having an FBS win. Um, I don't think FBS. I, I don't think having an FBS win and a ranked win on the resume means no impressive wins. But Delaware's still in the playoffs, regardless. I think that's the case, unless they lose both of these last two games. I think Delaware's still in the playoffs at the end of the day. Now, week we uh, or it should be week eleven. My bad, I forgot to update. But week eleven HBCU preview. FAMU, Alabama State, fan vote game of the week. This one is big. And coming into the season, I I didn't think Alabama State would finish last in the division. But, man, they they have turned out to be so much better than I thought they would year one of – in year one of Eddie Robinson Jr., man, he gets, what, an A-plus for what he's done this year? I don't care. I don't care what people say. I don't. You can point to the Jackson State game. You can you can point to whatever you want. This isn't this this is an A plus first year for Eddie Robinson Jr. Especially if they win this game, man. You're sitting what six and three right now. Have a chance to finish second in the division. And Jesus Christ, that it, it's been good. And I mean, at the end of at at. Man, you can't a C plus. So wait, hang on. A first year head coach, Sonic Boom, comes into a team that was that was not playing very well. New quarterback coming in, bunch of new players you had to replace, and you're gonna give them a C. You guys are great and hard as hell. That's crazy. And, and I mean, are you giving him a C if he wins this weekend too, Sonic Boom? That that's my question. Okay, are you giving him a C as of now? But I mean. That's crazy if they win B plus to A minus. I'm with that. Okay, you can give them a B, but I'm just saying it's not a C. If you give Alabama State a C for this year, I want to know what it would have taken to get a B plus or A minus, man, because what are their only losses? UCLA. They lost to UCLA. They lost to um, lost to Jackson State. and I forgot what their, um, I forgot what their other loss is. If they win against FAMU, I'll give them an A. Let's see, first, yeah, I'll give them a B plus. Um, that offense is still the same, but he's a he's he's a defensive coach though. Well, he sold he sold me a house with a high interest rate. PV, okay, so so the 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 team that is probably going to win the West was their other loss. I meant uh definitely a little bit too harsh on that one. Even if they don't win this game, I think. <laughs> If they don't win this game, let's put them at a B. But man, a, a C something, Jesus Christ! 
No, um, they can't go to the playoffs because they play the Turkey Day Classic the first week of uh, the first week of the playoffs. V, they they play uh, the uh, who do they play Tuskegee that week or UAPB? One of the two. I know one of those teams plays in the um, Turkey Day Classic, if I'm not mistaken. They got the second best D in the swag. That's what I'm saying. Like, man, y'all are crazy. If 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 anything less than a B plus for me is insane. Is is just insane to me that that anyone would give Eddie a, a B anything below a B plus for this season year one. I thank you. A, a solid B. A solid B. And if they beat, if they win out on the season, which if they beat FAMU, it's very possible they win out. Man, at least an A minus for that. Yeah, that's what I'll say. Man, if, if Robinson's getting a C, man, there are some, Hugh Jackson's getting an F minus. Dooley's getting, Dooley's getting whatever. I mean, Dooley's not even getting a grade back. He's got a, listen, we're not even giving you a report card. You know, you failed. That's it. But, for this game, you look at you look at the FAMU side. You come in seven game win streak after an 0-2 start to the season. And I know people have have talked about the defense not living up to the hype necessarily, but just because they're probably looking at the stats, and I mean you gotta think they gave up 50 plus the first two weekends. And you look at their last seven games. On this win streak, FAMU has held six of their last seven opponents to 20 or less points and have two or more sacks in the past six games. FAMU's defense has been playing a lot better than they did the first two weeks of the season. Uh, Isaiah Lands, six sacks, nine tackles for loss this season. Kamari Stevens is a name that I don't think a lot of people... um, I don't think a lot of people have talked about just because of some of the other big names on this defense, but Kamari Stevens has been playing extremely well for FAMU. And another thing is, as good as the defense is for Alabama State, we know what it is. If you don't contain Xavier Smith, you don't. There's no chance you can you contain FAMU. 803 receiving yards, nine touchdowns right now for for the X Man and Jeremy Musa. If he if you don't force them into turning the football over, this offense can put up some points on you. And so that's going to be the key for Alabama State. Is one, I don't think you can stop Xavier Smith. If you can slow him down, that that's that's a win. And so I, I think that's that's going to be a key. And then also just make it establish some sort of offensive consistency man that's the one thing they've exceeded expectations that's great but you saw last week against Bethune Cookman when Davis when Davis is playing well this offense can put up some points but the problem is man I have not seen it from Davis consistently and the offensive line for me has some question marks has some question marks on it I do think Gaddy Colton Adams and some of the play and Earshad Davis the two corners have a lot of potential Colton Adams has to play big for me. 90-plus tackles this year, seven tackles for loss. I think he's first-team all-conference linebacker right there next to Aubrey Miller, in my opinion. He's going to have to have a big game. One, you know FAMU struggles running the football. You have to make them completely one-dimensional. Do not let Terrell Jennings get off, Jalen McLeod, anybody in that running running back room get off. And This is a huge test for Adrian Maddox in that secondary earshot Davis. 
Who are you going to put on X? In my opinion, you should take whatever your best corner is, and it, either it's Isaac or Adrian Maddox, and say, you got X, and you cannot let him get off, and then the other one goes on Shareed. Those two guys are, are the keys to stopping FAMU's offense. But for me, looking at looking at both of these teams, I, I, just, I trust FAMU's defense to force Davis into some big mistakes, and I just – I trust. I just trust FAMU's offense to be able to put some points on the board. I think Xavier Smith and Musa have a connection. I think that I think he gets off for another big touchdown. I think Musa probably puts up two or three touchdowns to the air, and I just think they have enough balance right now compared to the Alabama State offense to get this win. Give me FAMU this weekend over Alabama State, twenty-one to sixteen. I, I do think it's going to be a low-scoring competitive game. I don't think FAMU is going in there and blowing out Alabama State at home. 21-16 FAMU this weekend over Alabama State. And I think they keep they keep their march to the playoffs on, man. And that's the key. I think FAMU's coming in with a lot, a lot to play for. And so give me give me FAMU 21-16. FAMU needs to embarrass. I, I mean, Alab- okay, so you could say that, but I mean, thinking outside of UCLA. Has I don't think there's I don't think they've been blown out this season in any of their losses. I mean, Jackson State was a competitive game, and if I'm not mistaken, the PV game was was fairly competitive as well. So I don't think I don't think FAMU goes in there and just beats them to death because I mean, Bama State hasn't been hasn't been beat around all season long. Honestly, I think that SCU JSU will be another big time. Uh, we dominated Southern. Musa not good against fast defense. ASU will win. Best receiver in the swag. X Smith. JSU performed horribly in the red zone. Uh, Two twenty one. Man, definitely get the likes of. Hang on, I think Mr. Ford. Uh, I think someone asked where Mr. Ford is. He just called in. So let me get Mr. Ford on here, and then we'll preview the rest of these games. Uh, I think Mr. Ford. Uh, Mr. Ford, you're live. Hey, can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear, man. Okay, I'm gonna just run through some things. I I could be quick because I wrote it down. Okay, hold on, let me let me turn it down. Okay, first and foremost, Southern University needs to apologize to the HBCU fans who journeyed to Tallahassee to see the jukebox, and the administration at Southern University chose to leave them at home. Now, let me, the person I'm gonna blame because I'm gonna blame him because I know the president's new. He doesn't know the history. He doesn't know the legacy. He doesn't understand that this uh, uh, Southern University of Florida and uh, rivalry is over 80 years old. Roman Banks, you know better than this. You know better than this. This was ridiculous. We had people who drove four and five hours not to see the football game, but to see the jukebox go against the 100. This is ridiculous that y'all left them at home. I don't want to hear no excuses about you didn't have this. You didn't have that. You you got the schedule last year. You knew that you had to go to Tallahassee. How could you leave the jukebox at home? This makes no sense. Let me go on right here. This is an old rivalry between uh, Florida A&M and Alabama State. Hold on one second. I'm on the, on the uh, line. I'm going to call you right back. 
Uh-huh. I got it. I'm sorry about that. Listen, this uh, series goes back to 1909. Here's the thing. Alabama State leads this series, 19 wins, 17 losses, and two ties. But in my research, this is one of the things I want to say to President Ross. you got to do better than this. Now, Alabama State is a Division II institution. They got 6,000 students. They got 6,000-plus students. They got Alabama State at 3,614 students. That's ridiculous. Alabama State should have at least 7,000 students. All right? Now, you, you brought up something, uh, Blue, about you said that you and cutting them were the only ones that was covering that game down in New Orleans. Let me tell you that. That falls at the feet of the SWAC office. That's Dr. Charles McClellan and his staff. If they didn't have anybody down there, that's their fault. They got to do their job. That's what I've been telling y'all. They got to do their job. Okay, listen. The other thing I want, Alabama, fam, you in Alabama State, we need to have 25000 or more at that game. Listen, last week in Columbus, Georgia, two Division two schools got together. Albany State and Fort Valley State got together. A.J. McClung Stadium. They had 27000 plus. These are Division two schools. We talking about Florida A&M and Alabama State, Division One schools, FCS schools. We should have twenty five thousand people at that game. Listen, yet the other thing I want to say, uh, it came across my computer today while I was at school. That Mobile Classic, who they have done a good job in planning this. Listen to this. They're gonna have the Isley Brothers in concert Friday night. They're gonna have Dougie Fresh in concert Saturday night after the game. Okay? And I want to end by saying this. Kalen Newton, he was the uh, quarterback at Howard University for two years. In 2019, he was the Black College Player of the Year. He goes to Auburn, and they buried him at Auburn. Could you please speak on what happened to Kalen Newton? He's, and that's a- how- He's actually the leading receiver at William & Mary right now. Oh, so he went up there with his old coach. So he said, yeah. we, okay. He, see, he played for Mike London. And so he transferred to William & Mary, okay. Yeah, okay, I didn't he's, know he's, that. He's okay. had a huge year. They don't pass the ball much, but he's the number one receiver right. by far. And he's probably – he's going to get some all-conference consideration up there, and they're probably going to make a little run in the playoffs. So he he's found his spot, and – I love the coach up there at William and Mary. I know you know a little now, bit yeah, about his history. What, now he won a, a one double A championship in Richmond, but this is what I want to ask you: What happened to that offense coordinator he had named Marion? He, he was at uh, Tulsa. He came out of Tulsa. Where is he? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. He might be on the. Staff. He should be a candidate for one of these HBCU jobs. That's true. That guy had a, a dynamic offense up at Howard. His last, I want to say, and he wrote a book. I want to say his name was uh, Marion. I think he was a graduate of Tulsa. Might have played in the league, maybe with the Miami Dolphins. But uh, he should be a candidate for one of these. And that's the last thing I want to say. Listen, uh, I hope they can get a good staff out there at uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. We need a good staff to come in out there. Now, what do you think about um, these people getting rid of that Sims guy, Bethune-Cookman? Is it this year or next year? Because he got to go. When is it leaving? I think next year. I mean, because this could be so hard. The argument they'll make is he had those 
like extra circumstances due to the hurricane where they didn't get to practice at home or play at home for what it was how many weeks was it in a row it was it was a few and so i personally think he, he is going to get another year it just in my opinion can, can we get 40,000 at Lab people stadium this week what you think about that yes yeah, so i live in mobile and i'm just telling you guys they have promoted this game since football season started like my dad lives downtown and there has been ads since like august for this game and I've had friends text me and everything like there's more people excited about Jackson coming to play than they are about South right now. And South's pretty good this year. There's a bunch of people who are going to this game looking more excited than even like South being pretty good this year, which this is probably their first good year ever right now for their football program. What not two things and I'm going to get off this line. First of all, South Florida ain't interested in no Willie Simmer. They just putting that out there so they can say that they equal opportunity. That man, uh, the one they called Chucky, used to be the coach at uh, the Oakland Raiders. Gruden. What, what was his name? John Gruden. John Gruden says he wants that job. So John Gruden go get that job. And I want to end by saying something to Mr. Campbell. Mr. Campbell, you said the other day, you you on the line here on Blue Show, you said that seven wins for Southern would be a success. Let me tell you a little story. I can remember when I was recruiting for Billy Joe when he was at Florida A&M. He won nine games. I went down to see him in January. Those people at Florida A&M told him in January during the offseason, Florida A&M was not a nine-win uh, school. They were a championship school. So I'm going to ask you, why do you think if nine wins is not good enough for Florida A&M, why are seven wins good enough down there on the bluff? You think them people at Southern University, i tell you what you do. You call B.J. Jones, you call Jim Klein-Peter, you call Quincy Richard, and you ask them, is seven wins successful at Southern University? Listen, y'all have a good night. Well, hang, okay? hang on, Mr. Ford. I got one, I got one okay. question for you. Um, okay. I, I said it earlier. What grade would you give Eddie Robinson Jr. this year? Let me tell you, I would get, if, if he had an offensive coordinator, I'd give him an A+. Plus. That's, that, that's what's going to happen when y'all see that game Friday. He doesn't have an offensive coordinator. If he had an offensive coordinator, listen, I, don't, I think y'all don't forget. I'm going to say it again. When Jackson State came into Montgomery and they played Alabama State, they went blow for blow. The game changed when them players on Alabama State's team realized that Davis' kid wasn't coming back. That's what tilted the game. I'm telling you now. That's what tilted the game. Listen, they don't give him no credit, and I understand why. You remember the coach they had at Alabama State last year that they fired, uh, that Donald Hill Ely? Yeah. You remember him? Yeah, I do. You remember Donald Hill Ely? Yeah. Listen, he left him with some players. He did not leave them. He didn't leave the cup with nothing in it. He left them. He did some recruiting. I didn't know, I didn't like his offense. I did like Pearson as a defense coordinator. But he left them with some players. There are some players that I'm telling you now, I've said this on your show, and I've said it on some other shows. If Coach Eddie Robinson would go out and get a championship offensive coordinator, they can contend for a swag championship. 
That's fair. No, I was just wondering because I said he should if, if he wins this game this weekend and wins out, he should get an A for the season. But there were some people in the chat saying that he should get like a C minus on the year. And I was like, I don't know what else That's he could have done. They trolling. They trolling. They trolling. Mr. Ford. Let, let, let me just say this and I'm gonna end this up right here. All right. Long as they got that Davis kid on the field, they are a threat. I'm telling you. Even with no offense, that's how good that kid is. Because one thing that kid can do, he can elude the rush, and then he can get that ball. Because Bama State's got some quality receivers now, especially that kid, that that Keyshawn Johnson, that kid out of Birmingham. That kid is young. And And listen, I keep telling people, Jackson State, this year, in February, when it's all said and done, they're going to have a top 25 or a top 30 class. With the facilities they got, with the city they're in, Alabama State can have a top 50 or a top 60 class. It's up to Coach Eddie Robson and his staff to go out and get those boys. But when you look, when you come to that stadium, you said, now you said you're going to be in, in uh, Mobile. You're not coming up to M- Montgomery, are you? No, no, um, I'll either okay. I'll either be in Mo- I'll probably be in Mobile, and if not, I'm going to be in Macon for the Mercer game. Right. See, see, this is what I'm saying. Montgomery is less than 120 miles from the metropolitan Atlanta area. Montgomery is less than 100 miles from Birmingham. Montgomery is less than 200 miles from Mobile. Plus, you can get to the Panhandle. That man can get. The athletes he wants, it's up to them. It's up to Alabama State. What are you going to do? Now, we know what uh, uh, Deion, Coach uh, Prime is going to do. He go, Coach Prime going to get a top 25 class. I can guarantee you that. I'm telling you that Florida and m Alabama State, they can get a top 50 class. It's up to them. It's up to them. Listen, have a good night, Blue, and thank you for let, allowing me to talk, okay? Hey, appreciate you, Mr. Ford. All right. Have a good night. All right, man. I'm a, let's, get, let's get back to previewing these games. But listen, I got FAMU in this one in case. For all the people just tuning in, I got FAMU 21-16 to 16, uh, this weekend over Alabama State. But Grambling-Texas Southern is another interesting game. And, you know, Grambling been looking a little bit improved. And... Texas, and here's what I'm worried about with Texas. I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's what worries me about this game. There's only been a few teams that have been able to rebound from like that Jackson State game. There's been a few teams that have put all their effort into beating Jackson State, and the next week they've had a big let. Like they let Jackson State beat them twice, is is what I guess to coach speak um, is, but. I, that's that's the one worry I have. You look at what happened with Southern. Same type of thing happened there, and I, that's the that's the one thing I'm worried about with Texas Southern is that man. It's like ah man, we, we couldn't pull that Jackson upset off. They overlook a Grambling team that's sitting with a terrible record right now, and and that's the that's the biggest concern for me in this game is just letting a team beat you twice. But Grambling's sitting at three and six, two. Two back-to-back wins, a 35-6 win over Alcorn State, a 36-10 win over UAPB. And this is crazy to me. You see what happens when you give Maurice Washington the football. 
the kid is electric and the the worry I have with Texas Southern is they do not run they do not defend the run very well and when you have chalk you have chance you have Maurice Washington are they are they going to be able to keep Grambling's offense off the field because if I'm Grambling I am I'm 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 running the football down your throat winning the time of possession keeping you know, just keeping Texas Southern's offense and Andrew Body on the sidelines, and, and and for me, that's that's going to be a major issue. And also, it's say what you want about Grambling; they've done an excellent job forcing turnovers in in timely situations. So go back and look at that Alcorn State game, and 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 that's for me going to be the biggest concern is one Texas Southern's focus, and two Texas Southern's run defense, and because if you, if you can't put the game on Grambling's quarterback, they actually can compete really well. When you look at their defense, too, they got multiple guys who can go make plays with Lewis Matthews, Joshua Quadet, Joshua Reed. They got some guys who can go out there and make some plays, and they and they consistently win on special teams as well. And when you look at Texas Southern, it's going to come down just to consistency of Andrew Body. They've run the ball really well, too. Ladarius Owens, Ja'Cory Howard, great one-two punch. They've combined for over 1,000 yards rushing, 10 rushing touchdowns this year. You also have Andrew's legs, almost 400 yards rushing this year. I am extremely concerned about the rushing attack of Texas Southern. I mean, the rushing defense of Texas Southern. I'm going – I've been off the bandwagon. I've been super critical of this team. I'm going with Grambling for the upset this weekend. And I think Grambling is going to pull it out because of their ability to run the football, their ability to force turnovers. And I just, I have a feeling we're going to have a little bit of a hangover with Texas Southern early. Grambling is going to be able to jump on them early, establish a run, and things are going to kind of get out of hand moving forward. So I'm rolling with Grambling in. I, I'm really going. I'm, I'm going with the upset, man. I am. It's bold. I don't. I, I haven't picked an up a big upset in a while. I'm going with Grambling in a win. And yeah, I I have to ride. I have to uh, ride with Grambling this weekend, man. Sean, I appreciate you, man. Definitely appreciate you. But yeah, give me Graham by seven this weekend over Texas Southern. I'm sorry, Miss Body. Sorry, Miss Angie. Sorry, sorry, the Body family. I gotta roll with Grambling, man. I got. I got. I would rather be correct with my picks because that's why y'all tune in. Because I, I, I've been I, at almost eighty percent on my picks on the website. I was nine and zero last week on website picks. Got to rob a Grambling this weekend. But another game that. Oh, okay, I, I I haven't seen the lines. FCS lines don't usually release till Saturday. Do you guys think Howard's going to be the favorite in this game? Because I do. If you're setting lines based on not based on brands, but based on on-the-field performance this season, do you guys think Howard is going to be a favorite betting line-wise over South Carolina State? Because I personally do. And if I would have told you that, oh, if I would have told you that in, what, August, there would probably be some people who unsubscribe to me. It, it, it is it is bad right now. And, and this – this is the funniest thing of all time that I'm going to have to talk about this. This game is going to come down to which quarterback is the like plays 
average. I'm just going to call it average because neither quarterback is going to light the world on fire. Which quarterback is going to hit average? Because if because this game, like A said, depends on which Corey Fields is playing, and it and it depends on what Quentin Williams is playing. The narrative for both of these teams coming in this matchup are which quarterback is going to suck less in this matchup. And it's such a hard thing to project because here's here's just the X factor here. If both if both quarterbacks are bad, which team can run the football? And therefore, Howard has a much better run game. And so right now, you have to kind of be leaning Howard in this matchup. If the quarterbacks both are bad, Howard has a solid defense and they can run the football and probably have the better offensive line. And it, I can't believe I'm sitting here in week 11, November 9th, talking about really talking myself into picking Howard over South Carolina State. Uh, it is, it is, listen, I'm picking Howard for the upset. I'm going back, I'm feeling in an upset move, a uh, mood right now. Give me Howard over South Carolina State this weekend. I trust Quentin Williams over, um, over South Carolina State and Corey Fields. I, I think Quentin Williams can do enough to win this football game. I'm going Howard in the upset, man. I, I, I got a feeling South Carolina State it has just been really bad, and they don't have much to play for anymore. They're out of the MEAC race. The Celebration Bowl isn't an option. Howard is – I've told myself week zero I would never pick Howard again. Bison, I'm giving you one more shot. I'm, roll, I'm rolling with Howard. If Howard doesn't win this game – not picking them ever again. I, I, I give me Howard over South Carolina State in the upset at home this weekend, and then finally, Jackson State versus Alabama A and M this weekend in Mobile, my hometown. It's going to be an amazing weekend, and there's a bunch of events, parades, and I got a feeling that Lad People Stadium will probably see the biggest. Um, uh, it probably be the biggest game that Lad has seen in a long time. And uh, hang on, no, not I'm not in that big of an upset mood. <laughs> I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I, I'm not I'm not in that big of a mood, but um, th- th- I'm just excited to see the environment and, and what's happening. But it was just this game had so much hype in August and September, and now you're looking at it coming off a loss against Valley. And Jackson State rolling like they are, and they're not going to overlook Alabama AM. I still think they are going to try to make a point against this team. Uh, I, per- I I think Jackson State tries to put up another 60 piece on them. I really do. I, I, I think if there's a game that Prime is not going to call the dogs off, it's going to be this weekend against Alabama AM. And the big and I've, I've I've said the only way you beat Jack State is with a good quarterback, and right now there has not been a good quarterback on the roster for Alabama A and M this year. There just there just hasn't. It's been they've been too inconsistent. They've been too turnover prone, and then it's it's eagling or bust with this offense at times, and that is a recipe for absolute disaster, man. Coming in at three and six, Eagling's doing his thing. Five touchdowns over 600 yards rushing. But, I mean, just look at the quarterback play. Right now, the quarterbacks the, the, the quarterbacks for Alabama A&M 
have thrown 10 passing touchdowns and 12 interceptions and completed 57% of their passes combined. Neither quarterback has hit 60% completion percentage. Neither quarterback has hit a th- the 1,000-yard mark. And both t- both quarterbacks have thrown five or plus touchdowns. I mean, five plus interceptions. It is just, it's a recipe for disaster. Isaiah Cox has done his thing, but overall, they, they don't have a game changer at wide receiver again this year. Their defense, now I will say, Zarion Hayes and Dre Terry have been solid. And Zarion Hayes is actually top five in the country in tackles for loss, 46 total tackles, 14 and a half for loss, two and a half sacks. Dre Terry, nine tackles for loss, 60 plus total tackles, leads leads the team. It's just, uh, do they have any corners that can slow down what Jackson State does well, which is spread the ball around and make plays on the outside? And then on top of that, you're looking at Alabama A&M's defense, giving up 34 points a game, just coming off a game where they gave up 30 points to Valley. And, and in terms of rushing, they're giving up 150 rushing yards per game, giving up 230, um, giving up 230 through the air. Ah, man, they're giving up almost 400 yards per game. And this is the this is the most telling stat of all time for Alabama A&M is they're giving up almost six yards per play this year. Six yards per play, and here comes Jackson State and looking to make a point, and they're averaging six-plus yards a play, putting up almost 500 yards a game. We know what Shador is, but Savion Wilkerson has been putting on an absolute performance, man, 900-plus yards, seven touchdowns, coming off a 200-plus yard game. On the defensive side, you got Aubrey, and I think he's he's putting together another first-team all all swag season, a potential a potential second or third team All American type season. Cam's played well. John Huggins, Bolden's out there on the outside playing well. Gaddy's done his thing this year. I think this is going to be a route. I just when I I always like I don't ever like to say a team's going to get the doors blown off, but when I, I college football is about matchups, and I never say an upset is at zero percent that it can never happen, but. It's as close to zero as possible. And I think Jackson State runs away with this one. Give me Jackson State 51. Alabama A&M 10. I'll do 51 to 10. I, I, I don't see this one being close, man. Matchups are everything. And when you have inconsistent quarterback play, your defense struggles to get people off the field. I don't see a great chance of keeping this one close. And so give me 51 to 10. I, I'm just going to keep it 100. I, listen, I wasn't going to give a score, but everyone's asking for it. I had to put one on there. It's 51 to 10. I, I don't, I, I can't see this one being close, man. I really, I, there's four games on this HBCU preview. All of these are going to be close except this one. So I'm going to keep it at that, man. Y'all can call in at 701-779-9585 if you want to talk about it because I know some people are probably upset. But hang on. Let me get I'll get to my game of the week in a second, but Mr. Campbell's calling in. I'm gonna give him a chance to respond. Mr. Campbell, you're live. Now nephew, you know I had to call in. Now I was just riding through the streets of Atlanta, minding my business, listening to your show. And Mr. Ford, my brother of Swag Knowledge, asked me a question. 
Now, Lou, you know I'm a professor. So my job is to teach. So class is now in session. So here's to my, all my people that say this. Now, Blue, I'm going to ask you a question real quick because I don't want to bog this show down with Southern. Show, tell me what game that the Southern lost that they were supposed to win other than Texas Southern, maybe. They were going to lose to Jackson State, right? Yeah, I think so. They were going to lose to LSU. They were going to lose to FAMU because that game was at home. Every game that Southern lost – they were supposed to lose. They got a lucky win, if you want to call it that, against Prairie View A&M. They beat Alcorn. So if you looked at their schedule and you didn't know who was coaching, you would have said they win, loss, win, loss, 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 just like they did. So it has nothing to do with what Southern wants. It's what the schedule and the players say they're going to produce. That team was a four-win team last year. They do not have talent at the quarterback position. So for anybody to be delusional to think that someone's going to win nine games and win the West, it goes back to my point. You've got to know HBCU football. And I told you this, Blue, on this show. There are three schools that vibe with their bands and the team. That is Southern University, Jackson State, and FAMU. Because their bands and football teams are equally yoked. When Southern did not bring that band down there, I told all of you all they were going to get blown out. I told you this weeks ago. So this is what I'm talking about when you say win the seven games. To win seven games on that schedule is a win for them. That's just plain and simple. So you, you can't be mad at that. So what are you looking – you thought they were going to beat Jackson State? No. And then all these people that were delusional thought they were going to be family. We haven't lost in 15 games in Bragg. And we're going to lose to a one-read quarterback in Bragg? Come on, man. See, that's what I'm saying. We have too many people. And Blue, I'm going to switch this back to you. This is why I have a little bit different tone with your show, because this is a different show. But to your point, most people are picking with their hearts, and they're not picking with their minds when they pick these games. You cannot sit back because you don't like a team and you say, well, they're going to beat them because I don't like them. That's not how you pick teams. That's not credible. I sit back and I watch these games. I actually know these coaches. I know scouts. I can sit back and tell you why somebody's going to win, why somebody's going to lose. So, no, FAMU is not going to lose to Alabama State because they're going to have the same problem. They're not going to be able to score on our defense and our offense. And I'll tell you this, anybody that knows swag football this, usually nine out of ten times whoever had the better quarterback wins. That goes all the way back to James Shaq Harris than Mr. Ford knows. We got a better quarterback, and the defenses are equal. So Moose is going to make, and Xavier is going to make one more play than Davis is going to make. I guarantee you. And your score, which I think, what did you say, 21-16? Yeah. Was your score? Yeah, it was. That's probably what it's going to be. That's probably exactly what it's going to be. So that, 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 that's it. So like I say, so I see ASU is going to be FAMU. No, they're not. They're not. Just like you guys sound like Southern. And you can't tell me one reason why ASU is going to beat them. You, you can't say it's going to be offensively. And you can't say your defense is better than ours. You can't. Because the numbers don't say that. So, Blue, I'm going to let you get back to your picks. But, I, you know, I had to call in, man. I, I mean, I was minding my business. You know, but, hey, man, <laughs> class need to be in session. So, the professor, you know, I had to do it. We had to Mr. Do Campbell, it. I appreciate you. I, I knew you were calling in, but – I, listen, it's going to be a fun time in Montgomery. That that game's going to be great, but I agree. I think it, low scoring, but 
I, I give FAMU the advantage on both sides of the football, in my opinion. It, 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 it's just that's it. And real quick, um, Marion, to Mr. Ford, yes, he was a defensive back, played safety for the Dolphins. That's who he's talking about. That's the guy that he was talking about, that coach. So, yeah, yeah. that was a great opportunity for him, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I, I hope so. But, Mr. Campbell, appreciate you calling in. Hey, man, no problem. I love it. I definitely love it. But we got one more game, Bracketology, and then I'm going to take y'all's comments and phone calls for probably about 20 minutes. But, man, FCS game of the week, easily. Chattanooga-Sanford, top top 12, top 11 matchup. This one's big. This one is huge moving forward for both of these teams. Chattanooga is going to have to run the football. That's it. A lean forward, 953 yards, 10 touchdowns. Geno Appleberry has been great on the ground. They got it, but they're going to have to find a way to force turnovers and stop the passing attack of Sanford. That's it. If anyone in the chat has watched Sanford football, you know they're going to want to throw the football, and it's been that way for the last five years. Michael Lairs has done his thing over 76% completion percentage, 27 passing touchdowns, 2,400 yards through the air. And when they do run the football, Jalen Thompson is their guy, seven rushing touchdowns, 500-plus yards. But they have so many wide receivers that can do it. But Kendall Watson and Chandler Smith are the two names to watch this weekend for the Bulldogs. The defense has really been, the, I think, the key. Anyone in the chat who has been a Sanford guy or, or watched SoCon football knows Sanford's always been the team to put up a lot of points, but they can't stop anybody. They've actually done pretty well on the defensive side of the football in terms of historically. I think this is the first time that I can remember that they that Sanford hasn't had a defense allowing 400-plus yards per game, and that, that's a big thing. I know some people in the chat are like 400 yards per game is not the standard, but for Sanford, that's a huge imp- – that less than 400 yards is an improvement over the past about five years. The other key is, man, are they going to be able to score – on a Chattanooga defense, that's one of the top in the SoCon. Todd Beck, Ruben Lowry, Jay Pearson, Devonshi Maxwell, Cameron Brown, Ben Bruton. The names go on and on in terms of all-conference impact players on this defense, and they've done a great job forcing interceptions. Been Cameron Brown, five interceptions, five pass breakups this year, ten pass deflections this year, has been all over the place. Can he force Michael Ayers into some mistakes that other teams have not been able to? And I think this – this game is going to be extremely close, man. And I've been going back and forth on a pick for a few days. Like this, this is one of the ones in the article I haven't even done yet. But with this being on the road in in Chattanooga, I've been to that stadium, man. Something's just different about that place. I think it's going to be a really tough place to play for Sanford. But when I ah man. I'm going to I'm a rob with Chattanooga. They're on the road. I trust the defense to make a play. The rushing attack is going to be able to get it done. If it's going to come down to who can make a stop, I'm riding with Chattanooga. Give me Chattanooga for the upset over Sanford this weekend. Again, just like they did to Mercer, man. But I'm, I'm going to go with UTC this weekend in a big one. Then finally, bracketology. Um, I got my seeds. I didn't do a full bracket because, listen, man, to try to figure out who the committee is going to match up together. Um, it, yeah, it, like I, I've, I'm back and forth on it, man. I still got to write the article and everything, but I, I, right now I'm riding with Chattanooga, but, uh, projected seeds. I got Sac State taking over the number one seed that probably going to finish the season undefeated. 
In my opinion, they got the best overall resume in FCS football. They should be number one in, the, in everyone's poll. I don't know how Sac State didn't get more number one votes in the poll, but everyone's got their own perspective. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people do their top 25s based off of potential matchups or hypothetical matchups rather than actual resumes is what happened and what has happened on the field. And that that sometimes aggravates me because you can't base your rankings off of hypothetical things that haven't happened because confirmation bias sets in and what you think is going to happen in that hypothetical matchup is always going to happen in your head. And so I I don't like that. Sac State's got the best resume though. South Dakota State at two, Montana State three, North Dakota State the four seed, Holy Cross, Samford, Carnet where Weaver State as of right now would be the top eight projected seeds. Bids by conference. I got Eastern Kentucky coming out of the A-Sun getting the auto bid. I don't see the A-Sun whack getting any other teams in. The Big Sky got get four teams getting in in Sac State, Montana State, Weaver State, and Idaho. Big South will have North Carolina A&T getting the auto bid in my opinion. CAA will get four teams in. William & Mary, Delaware, Elon, Richmond. MVFC gets three in, North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, St. Francis, the auto bid from the NEC, that's already locked up. OVC, Southeast Missouri State, I think they'll win the tiebreaker. I don't trust UT Martin to win out. Holy Cross and Fordham are going to get in from the Patriot. Davidson locked up the Pioneer. Sanford, Chattanooga, Furman, Mercer, the four SOCON teams getting in, and I think Southeastern Louisiana wins out, gets the Southland auto bid, and Word, of course, a seed second team in the Southland to get in. New Hampshire, Montana, Youngstown State, Rhode Island, FAMU are going to be the last five out. And the reason I moved New Hampshire in question is because last week I I thought Southeastern Louisiana could potentially um, drop a game. But looking ahead now, I don't see that happening. And I think Southeastern Louisiana getting the auto bid will take away an at-large bid that incarnate word wouldn't need if they got the auto bid. So uh, I think that's why that that would bump New Hampshire out. So if Southeastern Louisiana loses, New Hampshire would be my team that I added in right now. <clears throat> and yeah, I do. I, I, as crazy as it sounds, man, when you're when when all your losses are pretty much are to FBS or ranked team. I mean, they lost to South Dakota State, North Dakota State, and FBS school. Then another ranked team. I think North Dakota. Has a, has a resume that they're still going to get them in. And I don't see the commit in Lawrence. This is what I think the committee will do, not what I would do. I personally think the committee is going to put three MVFC teams in and not leave it at, um and not leave it at two, but that would be how I see the bracketology playing out as of today. But we got about 15 minutes, man, seven, zero, one, seven, seven, nine, nine, five, eight, five, man. You guys can call in, put the comments um in the chat and we'll move from there. Let's see. What you mean? Uh, what you mean? Allcorn doesn't get no love, Royce. I, we've talked about. I'm, I picked Allcorn the past three weeks, and I've taken some L's in my picks for that. But this week they played Bethune Cookman. Man, I personally don't think that's going to be a very competitive game, which is why I didn't put it on my HBCU preview. I think Allcorn State runs away with that win <clears throat> over Bethune Cookman. One five five four, you're live. One five five four, you're live. Uh, yeah, hello, does this work? What's up, man? Oh, shoot, sorry, give me one. Uh, try it again. 
Oh no, you're 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 live, man. Oh yeah, sorry about that. My my headphone was messing up. Um, I, I had a question about uh one of your your bids for the playoffs, right? Uh, Florida A and M. Um, I was I was gonna get your thoughts on like what if let's say coming out the uh the SWAC, um, they lose to Alabama State. Alabama State wins out the rest of their games in the season. Do you think they would potentially take that bit away from Florida and them, and then them instead go into the playoffs? Possibly they can't. Like they if, have I mean, a, just that. Well, they have a game the first weekend of the playoffs. They play the yeah. Turkey Day Classic on Thursday against either oh, yeah, Tuskegee or UAPB. So Alabama State is in the same position as Southern and Grambling, where they can't go to the playoffs, even if they, you know had one loss on the season or two losses because of the Turkey day classic being that Thanksgiving week, they're not going to ever going to be eligible for the playoffs. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for uh, answering. I just want to see that. Thanks. Hey, appreciate you. Thank you. Man. <laughs> she said no legitimate wins. Paris. I, I think the, the game that week is probably a bigger, um, uh, uh, Brian, I'm gonna get to your question after after this call. Three three zero seven, you're live. Hey, blue, what's um, good? Hey, can you point me to a game this year where Andrew Body was like special? The top of my head, no, but um, let me pull him up. Let's see, see what his best game is this year. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, let's see. Ooh. His best game of the year was Southern. I mean, he had like he completed seventy-two percent of his passes, had two passing touchdowns, put up over two hundred yards of total offense, and then he played. His his other best game will probably be against UAPB. He put up two fifty and two touchdowns that weekend. Those right. will probably be his two best performances so, at Southern and UAPB. So with the exception of the game last year against UAPB, they had like they had a stupid game. And then the game against Southern. Like I don't see the hype. Like I really don't because like a lot of people say he don't have talent around him, but every Every ball that a receiver might drop for him, I can show you three balls that he overthrow or underthrow. Like he I might be dynamic, but he, he's got right. the he's got the raw talent. The problem is, I mean, I, I, just, I, I don't think he's on a very good team, and we know about the offensive coordinator, all that. that. That is what it is. But his problem is he came in with Shador, and what the biggest thing is is people are comparing his trajectory to Shador's trajectory. People forget that. I mean, Andrew's still young, and he's not Shador. They have two different games. I would just be more patient with Andrew because a lot of people are basing the potential based on what he did in high school and based on what we know he could do. It's just, man, there's not right now I just don't think there's a lot of quarterbacks you could put on Texas Southern that – would have spectacular seasons. I, but I, mean, I feel you. Listen, I, I had a lot of pushback 
for not putting him in my top five quarterbacks on the round table. I did. I got a lot no, of pushback on that. To me, he gets overhyped, and I don't see the production. You know what I mean? Because, like, when I look at the stats, I don't seen every. I'm not seeing three games this year for Texas Southern. And to me, the most, the best player on the team is the running back. And the defense, like the run defense, has been poor. But like overall, like they've been pretty competitive. Like if you look at that game against Alcorn, everybody but Andrew Body kept them in the game. Your special teams were good. Defense was bend don't break. Made key plays in the in the red zone. And I think Andrew Body might have had maybe a hundred yards passing. You know what I mean? And it's like if I'm if I'm on his team, I'll be mad because it's like he get all the credit, but and it's the team's fault. The team ain't good enough to play with him, pretty much. You see what I'm saying? No, I mean I feel you. I I, I get where you're coming from. This is tough because I think when players don't succeed, there's two sides. There's people who one blame the coordinator, blame the talent around them. Then there's some people who blame the player who just say Andrew's not that good. And I do think some, you know, as much as Scotty and some other people love him and listen, I love his family. I love Andrew and I do think he's good. I do think sometimes the narrative putting him in the same conversation with the top FCS quarterbacks right now when he's just a sophomore is doing more harm because then you're right because coming into the season, there were people saying that he potentially could be a top quarterback in the FCS. And right now that's just not that's, true that's, right now. This, this is my thing. Like I, like I say, I know he's young. He got time to progress. My biggest problem with him watching him is he's not accurate. <laughs> like he, you know what I mean? He's not accurate at this point in his career. Not to say he can't get accurate over the next few years, but like he can't, he's not hitting the balls he should hit like on a routine basis. So to me, if you put him in Jackson State, I don't know if Jackson State is successful because you know they they pass a lot. It's going to be dependent on him to make a lot of throws. You see what I'm saying? I do. And, and not and, to say and, Shadur, and, and not to say Shadur was in Texas Southern that they would be much better. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying just to say, oh, well, if you put Andrew in Jackson State system, they'll be undefeated too. You can't necessarily say that. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Um, and Andrew's spoken about that too. Like I think if you if you talk to Andrew and I've talked to his dad offline, man, like they have a realistic expectation of what he is because, and I, when I talked to him at Swag Media Day, if you go back to that interview, I asked him, and he was like, "Listen, man, I have not been as good as I should be putting the ball where it needs to be," and he said this off season a big focus of his was getting his fundamentals locked up and being more accurate, especially in that intermediate range. And I still think he has room to improve with that, but I do agree if you're agree. dissecting if you're dissecting Andrew's game, the biggest takeaway is he gets antsy in the pocket, loses his footwork, and he gets inconsistent putting the ball where it needs to be. And when you're already playing with a less stacked deck than your opponent in terms of wide receiving talent and weapons – not putting the ball in, where in the right spot leads to bigger mistakes than it would. Like if Shador doesn't put the ball in the perfect spot, Shane Hooks, Travis Hunter, and some of those wide receivers can still make a play out of it, if it makes sense. True. I just think True. he has one no safety net, and so him not always being on point in the passing game 
hurts his overall perception at the end of the day. But I did hear Texas Southern has a shot to change OCs. The excuses will be out of the book next year. If they change OCs, Andrew's going to have to have a big season or there's going to be a lot of people who are looking at him sideways moving forward. All right, say less. Appreciate your time, man. Hey, appreciate you, man. Eight five six six, you're live. Hey, what's going on, Buddhist J Love? What's good, man? Nothing much. I just got I got two questions. First is I'm trying to under it's about the HBCU game of the week, and I'm trying to understand y'all perspective. So you got family winning it twenty one sixteen seventeen. Is that what Mr. Campbell said? Yeah, twenty one sixteen. But what gives you that inclination that FAMU will be able to put up those kind of points against a defense like Alabama, Alabama State's defense? So I look at it, FAMU, they got blew out by the JSU. Okay, they did get a win, an impressive win in the MEAC, but South Carolina State is garbage this year. Their defense is not good. Their team is just not a good team, period, this year. So, like, what inclination – do you have to say that time you will be able to pull out this game when Alabama State has only gotten hotter and hotter throughout the season? Um, I mean, you look at Alabama State and their last, let's say their three wins since Jackson State. They beat Valley. They beat Alabama A&M, who just lost to Valley. And they beat Bethune-Cookman, where they gave up 22 points to Bethune-Cookman. In my opinion, I, FAMU's better than all three of those teams. and I mean, they've beaten if I'm not mistaken, two of those teams already, and they play the other one next week. Fam, you can put up 20, 20, was it 20 or 21 points on Alabama State easily, in my opinion. And I do think FAMU's defense is better than the past three teams that Alabama State's played. It's just, I question the consistency of Alabama State's offense, if that makes sense. One week, D. Davis can be electric. He was last week against Bethune Cookman. They put up almost 40 points. But then we see the D. Davis that is uncomfortable in the pocket. He gets banged up. They're not able to run the football, Mm -hmm. and that offense becomes extremely inconsistent. And with his accuracy being a question, the one thing you can say about FAMU secondary is they can force turnovers. And I think that's going to be the key this weekend. I just don't see Alabama State not being able to turn the football over. It's a low-scoring game. I just trust Musa to make a play down the stretch to win the game over than I do D. Davis. Okay. Those are good points. Uh, last question. You had um, – who was the coach that you had for a coach that you said was up? You, you brought up two good names. Oh, Eck that was from up for Idaho? Year this year. Um, are you talking about FCS coach of the year? Yeah, FCS coach of yeah. the year, yeah. I said, um, uh, Eck at Idaho. It's his first year. They're sitting at seven and three. Their three losses are two to power five programs. One of those was single digits. And then the other one was a three point loss on the road to Sac State, who number two team in the country. He's got a true freshman quarterback. He's got a whole team full of transfers. This is his first year. He's going to probably end the season eight and three in the playoffs. He should be considered. And then, um, I don't remember the other name that someone brought up in the comments, but I, I think Eck has a great shot at it. Also, the Sac State coach sitting undefeated right now, potentially is going to win the Big Sky. 
receiving first place votes, I think the Sac State coach could potentially make a run at it as well. I mean, do you have a legitimate list at this point without having Prime on it? Third season? No, 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 no. Prime's on the list. No, for sure. But I think that's a given. I'm saying, but not number one or number two. I'm saying not to repeat from last year. Is it a legitimate list? If anyone submits their ballot without Prime in the top five, I don't think I, I think they're purposely leaving him off because they didn't want him to repeat. And if I'm mista- if I'm not mistaken, they usually try not to let people repeat because like if if you just picked the number one team in the country, I mean, hell, how many FCS coach of the years could could Matt Entz have right now at North Dakota State? Right, yeah. So I think they try to offer some sort of variety because it's hard to because winning coach of the year isn't necessarily which team is the best team there you should I think the coach of the year favorite should be guys who way over exceeded expectations like if your team was projected two and nine and you guys go eight and two nine and one make the playoffs I think that's a better candidate than Prom or Matt Entz leading their team to another undefeated season if that makes sense Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I bought it. That's a that, that's a decent point. I appreciate that, Blue Man. Hey, I knew I liked you for a reason, man. We both from Mobile, Alabama. I appreciate your podcast. I always like it and enjoy it, man. I'll talk to you later. Hey, appreciate the call, man. Amazing call. All right, man, we're going to wrap this up in about 10 minutes, man. So if you want to get your calls in, 701-779-9585. Um, let me go back here. There were two comments, man, I wanted to uh, get to. Uh, there was one. Hang on. Now I lost it. I, these phone calls. Um, Yeah, Travis was special in his moves. Um, I mean, I guess, Ricardo, it depends if you're talking about, like, right now with, with – I'm trying to like separate potential with overall, like who's had the best season in terms of pure overall potential, man. Listen, Travis was a five-star number one player in the country, man. He's just, he's a, he's on a different level, but I, I don't think you, I think you can give Travis his flowers, Ricardo, without necessarily taking away from any of the other top athletes at the FCS. Cause to the end of the day, he was a five-star. He's amazing. A great athlete. But there's also a lot. There's a lot of great athletes at at across the FCS and even in the SWAC. Like I, listen, he's great. Probably one of the he has the most potential of anyone at the FCS. But man, he's still just a true freshman. He's played in what four games? Before I announce him the best player in the FCS, I need to see more than four games of action, and that's that's where I'm going to leave it right now. You're wild, man. I that I hate. I never talk. I <laughs> I never talk about my school on here, really. Um, but hang on, let's see. There was one other comment. I know. I think Brian posted it earlier. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I'll just pull this one up. Um, the bowl game situation. This is. I, I try to. I I try to give y'all a unique ex- perspective on this show. I think this is another case of people being too binary in their thinking. And what I mean by people being binary in their thinking, it's either yes or no. It's either it's like one or the other. Like, man, multiple things can be true at once and multiple different like actions 
like that are going to be sparked from this can be true. So one, do I think it's going to be, do I think it's going to happen this year? No. And it's not, and it's not a, it's not me taking anyone's side. It's just no, because the NCAA is like any governing agency. They drag their feet on everything in terms of being progressive. And the NCAA is known for not being progressive. Look how long it took for NIL, the transfer portal, like all these big changes that we just kind of take for granted now in college football. Look how long it took them to approve it, get it in order, and and, and change the bylaws, et cetera. They're not going to – it's November 9th as we're sitting here talking. It's November 9th. If you think the NCAA is going to be able to call the meeting, change the bylaws for bowl games, and start allowing FCS teams to just start competing in FBS bowl games, you are crazy if you think that's going to happen in less than a month. It will. It 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 would it, it would be revolutionary if that even was considered. And I think if if I'm not mistaken, you could go check out Dr. Cavill's show. I think he talked about it on there. I don't think people realize how long it took for the SWAC and MEAC to get an exception to play the Celebration Bowl. And that took years for the NCAA to kind of get through. And like they had to beg, they had to plead. Like it was a whole process. And there's a lot of things on the plate of the NCAA, especially with this new reform in terms of the leveling, in terms of NIL and and everything, I just I cannot see the NCAA tabling all these other issues to approve a new bowl game legislature in less than a month in the middle of the season. And on the other hand, to be nuanced here, like Mr. Campbell said, is it should happen, and I hope it happens. Um, and. The reason is we have known that FCS needs postseason reform for a long time, regardless of what it is. And the fact that maybe it's going to take prom and Jackson State to open that door, but it could offer better, more efficient money-making options for a lot of other FCS teams moving forward. So I am for this, and I hope it happens. The only thing I would tell people is it would be – I mean, it. it is like 0.00001% um, chance that it happens this year. But next year, two years from now, potentially, we, we could have a potential conversation about it. Um, there would be a better – and it, it won't happen this year, but I do think there would be a better chance to create another bowl game along the lines, regardless of what that may be. Um but a better opportunity would be an FCS versus FCS bowl game moving forward. I don't know what that would look like. I don't know who Jackson State or, or the SWAC rep, rep, representative would play, possibly the Ivy League. I don't know. But that would be easier to get approved than open the Pandora's box of FCS schools playing in FBS bowl games. Um, that would uh, – that, that that would be a thing. And listen, an FCS Invitational, that's what I'm talking about. That'd be different. But if you're looking for FCS schools to have the potential to play in FBS established bowl games already with bowl tie-ins, that, I mean, that's going to take years to to move along. And I think that's where people were getting um, 
caught up in. And so people were getting way too emotional, way too passionate about wanting to be right and wrong. And, and, and is, is it left or right? It doesn't matter. Like it, like multiple things can be true and prom starting a conversation prom knew what it was going to do. And he consistently does this where he throws ideas out, throws statements out that caused absolute chaos on social media and real problems are actually addressed. But there's some people who lose sight of what he actually was talking about. Um, but I would love to see it and I'm hoping it happens eventually, but the odds are not, it's not going to happen this year. Even with the, even with the quote unquote cloud and excitement around Jackson state, there's too many, there's, there's too many, uh, like there's too much red tape to cut through in, in, in less than a month. Um, because Brian, there's still NCAA bylaws that have to be changed for an FCS school to play in an FBS bowl game. And Pandora's box is if you allow one FCS school to do it, you can't just change the bylaws and say only Jackson state and fam, you could do it. Like you just can't do like you can't do it. The bylaw would have to change that FCS schools could play in FBS bowl games. And that would change the entire like the whole reason there's an FBS and FCS structure is one supposed to have bowl games and one supposed to have a playoff. And I think the NCAA is going to be very hesitant to change that. Cause once you like the reason I call that Pandora's box, Brian is because once that happens, the top FCS schools are not going to the playoffs anymore. North Dakota state, South Dakota state, Montana, Montana state are going to a bowl game. Like, I'm sorry, like everyone could say all these other top. Listen, the, the fact of the matter is there are 10, about 10 schools right now that that have bigger crowds and have a bigger brand than a lot of six and what a prom call them, six and five group of five teams. There are about eight or nine, maybe 10 FCS schools that have bigger brands and everything. You 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 just cannot say it's only a it's only a Jackson State rule. It's only a it's only a family. Like if if this is allowed, Brian, they're going to have to say all FC like FCS schools are allowed to play in FBS bowl games, and that opens Pandora's box for any FCS school. Now if they get an invite, they're going to play a bowl game rather than the playoffs, and it messes up the entire structure that the NCAA has tried years, um, has has spent years trying to build. Um, they can't go if they don't get picked, though. No, any FCS school playing a bowl game would be in that large bid. No, I agree, but I'm just saying you have to change the whole rule. And that, that's what I'm saying. It's not, it, it's probably, there's going to be some, there's, there, we, I don't know what it's going to be because listen, you never know what the answer to play, but that's why I'm saying it's not going to happen this year. There's so many other factors that they're going to have to consider and discuss. And that's why it's going to take time because the NCAA doesn't just say, oh, Jackson State's hot right now. So let's just, let's just say F it and just start allowing FCS and bowl games. Like they're going to talk about all these possibilities and that's why it's going to take some time in terms of changing the bylaws. But I'm, I'm hoping it does, man. Like I said, I'm on prime side on this. I would love to see it happen, but I, I just, I'm just saying there's, there's more, there's more behind the scenes that people I think are ignoring just because they got it. They're getting excited at the potential of something happening. It's like a kid at Christmas um, getting super excited about opening the presents and like losing sight on like every, like hang like, like take a step back. I understand as a fan, we all love it. More football, more opportunities, man. We all are here for it. Myself included, everyone in the chat, 
But at the end of the day, the NCAA has a whole lot to talk about behind the scenes and a whole lot of red tape to consider, cut through everything like that, that it's going to take some time. And that's all I'm saying. That's my position on it. It's just going to take a lot more time than people think. Um, man, Prime mentioned FAM, Shad. That's why, that's why I mentioned FAMU. Like, Prom said, if it's not us going to the bowl game, what about FAMU? People are grouping FAMU in because the head coach who started the statement in Prom mentioned FAMU. Bro, y'all got to stop being so emotional about it. Listen, we got to be able to have rational discourse. Multiple things can be true at once, and like we actually have to be able to extend the argument outside of some things. Like, it's not. It doesn't have to be like a why are you grouping this? Like you're the coach, like because FAM was mentioned in this conversation. Like, go watch the press conference. They can't stop being so emotional about it. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like, I want this. Like, this this would be amazing to see the FCS getting that type of shine because consistently, FC, I, like I've said this from the jump of this show, the top tier FCS teams. If I took the top 15 FCS teams right now, they could go win. They could have a winning percentage in the bowl games, in my opinion. I really do, and I think it, and it would also give be great film for FCS players to go up against potential Group of Five, Power Five programs and bowl games on a national stage on ESPN, ABC, CBS, all these channels that already are tied to these bowls. Man, FCS players deserve that shine, but you're talking about changing an entire structure of the NCAA that has been intact since the eight since the seventies. That's going to take some time to change, bro. That's not something that Prom's going to mention on a press conference November seventh. And everything's going to be changed by by December seventeenth. It's just not going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to take some time. Thank you, Mr. Campbell. It's just exhausting to to have this conversation, and 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 it's just it's crazy. It's crazy to me how um how people like overthink it and everything. But um, man, I, I'm excited. Um, big things coming. Listen, the roundtable move to um the, the round tables moving to friday i had something come up with on three on thursday night so me and scotty moved the round table to friday we might be doing it live if i stay in town for the jackson state game me and him are probably gonna do the round table somewhere in mobile live looking forward to that also coach's corner um so me and coach um have a special guest this week i'll kind of i'll drop the news here um me and coach me me and coach Fred this week on the coach's corner will have Luther Campbell, aka Uncle Luke, on the show this week, man. Uh we're gonna be breaking down some just some broad HBCU topics about the future of HBCU football, talk a little bit about his Miami Hurricanes. That episode will be dropping either tomorrow night or Friday morning. So stay tuned for that. Listen, article with all our full official week eleven FCS previews. We'll be we'll, we'll be dropping tomorrow as well. Um, yeah, Uncle Luke and myself and Coach, uh, Coach Fred he'll he'll be on the coach's corner this week. Uh, Mr. Campbell probably dropping Friday morning, um, probably about nine or ten in the morning. So it'll, it'll be that'll be a huge episode. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're recording it tomorrow night, so I'm really really looking forward to that one, man. That, um, shout out to Coach Fred too, and also we got some big special guests coming. On the show, let me just let me just start that. The Coach's Corner has been has has been a newer show. I'm still trying to get people to to jump on that train. And listen, if when when I start dropping some of the names that uh, 
we have coming on the coach's corner for this all season are going to get real excited and we got some huge names coming uncle luke is just the beginning this week um i'm a i'm a okay i'll say zay at the slot chad and then travis at travis as the boundary corner that's where i'll leave it but guys until next time man hit the like button hit the subscribe button um Stay tuned for more content, man. I'll be back later this week. But until next time, guys, the Blue Bloods are out. Mm-hmm.